everybody to Overdue Rentals, where we talk about films that maybe didn't get enough attention when they first came out, or even maybe big blockbusters that nobody seemed to talk about anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Mike Reyes. And today we're going to be joined by director Kevin Lewis, who made the recent 2021 underground hit, Willy's Wonderland. Yes, Willy's Wonderland, which kind of seems like a, a, a pre, like it's sort of a, a pre-overdue rental title itself. <laughs> which is building up a nice little cult buzz. And uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it stars Nicolas Cage. And it is about a mysterious janitor who rolls into town and takes on a job to in order to have his car fixed. But this job includes cleaning a children's entertainment facility that may or may not be haunted by Satan. Well... Yeah, I, I should say, I would. I will say, for people who haven't seen it and don't know about it, and they may be interested in it, not to give anything away, because I think it's very obvious if you see even the poster, for video game fans, it's, it's a Five Nights at Freddy's, basically, you know, story. It's, sim- you know? it's similar enough, but it's different enough. Yeah, that- it's, not, it's not being Five Nights at Freddy's, but it's that, that idea, technically. Just for people yeah. who are unaware, if they, you know, to kind of get them a, a little snap that reminds them of it, that yes. should bring them in. And it is also a great honor to uh, have Kevin with us this evening to talk about one of my overdue rental picks that just happened to all, you know, you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of these episodes, folks, where either of us are going to say it's my overdue rental pick, but both of us saw it and both of us immediately connected with it. And 1998's Dark City is definitely one of those movies that we, it was just like a lightning bolt. Like if you, if you had access to our spreadsheets, you would see uh, in all capitals, yes, and like yeah. multiple S's, maybe some sort of smart ass note and like punctuations. But for the uninitiated, Dark City is a film that follows a mysterious protagonist named John Murdoch, who, upon waking one night, finds that he may or may not be a serial killer in a very noirish city where it's always evening and mysterious black coated strangers with hats seem to control the world. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to do something on the lows. Yeah, Dark City. Come on, it's, this, this is, it's overdue rentals, baby. It's Dark City. You have to, if, if we weren't leaning into that, then this movie wouldn't, should not be talked about. Well, Dark City does have a very big cult following. I will say, it's, it's definitely got more of a cult following than maybe some of the other films we've talked about. But it is still something that a lot of people still haven't seen for whatever reason. Um, and there, there is some controversy from the theatrical version that was put out where the studio made director Alex Proyas, you know, put on this narration to help explain things they thought needed to be explained. So the question is, what version should you see now? It doesn't make a difference, actually, I would say. I mean, yes, it does make a difference, but just see, if you haven't seen it yet, see a version of Dark City, I would say. Yes, it's, uh, before we, before we get too deep into it, I'm just going to say, I feel like it's a movie you have to watch three times, because you have to watch the theatrical, you have to watch the director's cut, and then you really have to watch the director's cut with either a commentary or the special trivia track that shows the differences because then you can really soak it in. But anyway, uh, I think we've got Kevin waiting for us at the virtual, uh, basically at the counter. Do we want to let him in? Yeah, because we got to get deep into it. So let's get, let's get Kevin in to get deep into it. Okay, Kevin Lewis on Overdue Rentals. Welcome. Oh, man. Do you have your card? Do you have your card on you, Kevin? Do you have your your... I need to see your rental card. Okay. okay. Kevin, thanks again. Thank you so much for joining us here at Over to Rentals. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into your Over to Rentals choice in, in a quick second. 
But I think since 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 Willy's Wonderland is still fresh for a lot of people, and I think I, I kind of want to ask because now the news story, of course, is still about Nicolas Cage and Seth Rogen on the Green Hornet, and 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 Cage's suggestions. I'm wondering if there was a point where that character had dialogue and Nick said he shouldn't talk. You know, it's funny. No, but yes. The thing is that the, the script had no dialogue until the very end. He had said one line. And this, the line was, uh, come at me, bro. And I remember going, all right, you know, this line's got to be iconic because, uh, you know, it's got to mean a lot, right? Because, like, he didn't say anything through the whole movie. So whatever he says, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a really uh, a meaningful thing. But, again, how do you become iconic until things go on groovy, right, and from Evil Dead and stuff? Like, but that takes time, you know? And so I was trying, I was struggling with it. I was thinking maybe it's birthday time, some, you know, something like that, something to connect with Willie. And uh, I was talking to Nick and actually we decided, you know what, let's not do any lines. He didn't want to do anything. And his feeling was the janitor doesn't speak unless he feels that he needs to, he doesn't need to. And I was like, I like it. And so we went with that. And so in that sequence, you see him coming out of the doorway of the kitchen I do this full push in because I want to get you to go, okay, here comes the line. Here comes the, the cheesy one liner, you know, and he doesn't say it. And so, um, so yes, uh, in a way, you know, he had something to do with that for sure. But 99% of that script, there was no dialogue for the janitor. You also, so you mentioned evil dead. And I also wondered when I was watching it too, because with Ollie, you know, he's an ostrich. Of course he has that long neck, but I think the line is, I think he says, I'll eat your face, but I immediately thought about, you know, I'll swallow your soul. Yeah. In that, in that home. Like, was yeah. that was that on purpose? You know, um, Ozzy had other lines. He had actually more lines. It, 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 it was kind of cool. And I mean, in the script, he, he comes to life and I actually shot it where you see um, the cord pulling out and you start seeing him move. But the problem was, it was like, okay, once he gets there, it's like the janitor would have recognized it, you know? So that was kind of the thing. But he did, he did things uh, in the beginning. Uh, there were lines like, you know, hey, 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 how, how are you doing kind of things. And it, it was kind of, it was a taunting thing, you know, and yep, 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 you know, and uh, it was really kind of cool and fun. But, um, but yeah, that, that reminded me of Evil Dead. Again, I'm, I'm such a Sam Raimi fan, you know, and, and when I made this movie, it was kind of a love letter to Sam Raimi in the 80s retro horror movies. So you could totally see, yeah, that it's kind of a uh, Evil Dead vibe for that, you know. It's just such a fun movie to watch too. Like I, I remember seeing this. I think it was a couple months ago. I watched this for the first time, and I still want to go. I, I watched it purposely, not drinking anything, not sort of like, all right, I gotta watch this <laughs> straight up because I want to see how I feel about this. And it yeah. just feels like a moment, a movie where you bring it to a party and your friends are maybe having like a beer or two and you just watch it and just go full throttle. I mean, there is no fat on this thing at all. That was totally the vibe. When I was making the movie, of course, it was pre-COVID. And I was thinking, this is the Midnight Madness movie. This is a movie where, again, going back to Evil Dead, when I was younger, we would drive to a podunk you know, town an hour and a half because playing some little movie theater, right? And that was it. So when I was making this movie, that's what I wanted. And I really wanted to go to like a comic con or a convention and like meet the fans and just, you know, watch the movie with them and just kind of Rocky horror picture show esque vibe, right? Cult, right? That's what I wanted. And what was tough was when, you know, COVID happened, of course, you know, you don't, you know, that, that thing didn't 
it went completely different than we expected. And um, of course, COVID, and this is such small compared to what everyone's dealt with with COVID, of course. Um, but I was really bummed, you know, I was like, gosh, this was a movie that we made for a midnight crowd, you know. However, I've got I've got four kids. I've got two of their teenagers, and they did a watch party on the night we, we it was released on February twelfth, with like thirty of their friends, my teenager kids, and it was awesome because it was like, well, we can't all be in the same room together, but they're experiencing it together in the new technology of twenty twenty one, and I was like, wow, that was that was pretty sweet. So there have been watch parties all around for Willie's, you know, and it is the kind of movie you just kick back with your friends and check it out and. I was kind of, when I was making it, I wanted to make a movie where you could put it on and then it's over and you can put it on again and watch it, you know, and then you can have it in the background and play it. It's like one of those films. That was kind of the heart and soul of it when I was making the film, what I always thought about it, so. And it just feels like we're, that type of market isn't totally dead, but I feel like that market has shrunk so much. Uh, especially when you look at a movie like uh, the other film we're going to talk about today, Dark City, which uh, I think kind of fits into that mold, that sort of same mold where it's something that deserves this rich afterlife where you could go and see like a midnight Friday showing. Uh, I, I'm not too far from Philly. And some of the theaters out there love to do like The Room or Rocky Horror. Or they'll have other repertory screenings at like midnight on a Friday. And there's just something about the right movie hitting at that specific moment, like something that you watch late at night in theater or even on cable. There's just something yep. so damn special about that, that it just, it's yeah. like nothing else is there to distract and you're just allowed to sink in. Yeah, totally. You know, cause now these movies you come and they scream and they go and then you're on your phone and there's just so much, there's so much content. And they're just so much trying to take you away, right? And these films, when, of course, Dark City was released back in the day, you didn't have all the competition like you have now with a, with a lot of this content, right? And it's funny, I was thinking about this too, like with content, movies have become quote-unquote content now. They're not special, right? So like you could watch, you know, Lawrence of Arabia on your iPhone and then watch how to build your, how to fix your toaster, you know, and that's content. Everything just comes into content. And that's not what it was. Like with Dark City, I saw that movie three times in the theater. I was blown away by it. I love The Crow, you know, so Alex Proyas, I was just a big fan of his. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, that's what I wanted Willie's to be. You know, I just wanted Willie's to be a fun experience. There's so many movies you go to now, you kind of just forget about it, you know, and you just go, okay, great, whatever. And then you'll, a week later, you'll be like, what was that about? Oh, yeah, 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 that movie. I want a Willie's to be different. Whether it's good or bad, that's fine. But just something that can that you haven't seen before, something unique, or kind of a hark back to the '80s. That's why, like with the Ringer T-shirt that he wears, that was like those Star Wars movie shirts in the '70s. You know, very retro. Um, and even you know, Stranger Things has that thing going. But I didn't want to hawk the '80s on the movie either. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wanted to make it where it's its own. Yes, it doesn't take place in the '80s, and we're not putting Ghostbusters and ET stuff, right? But you just have that vibe and that feeling like Return of the Living Dead and Evil Dead and those kind of movies. That's kind of what I wanted for the movie. So um, I'm so glad that you guys got that out of it. It was great. Yeah, but also for something not doing typically what you'd expect in a film, that idea that I love, that it does go back to him after, all right, I'm going to get rid of one of these things, going back to cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just love the idea of like, you know, now 
you'd have people going, oh, my God, and they'd be freaking out and running for their lives. And, whatever. and it's like, I love that the janitor doesn't care. He doesn't, you know, he just, you know, he wants his car back. Very yes. simple, you know, and he's just going about his thing. He, he, he's a man of his word. He, he shook his hand, the hands, and he's just doing what he's doing, you know, and it, it doesn't phase him a bit. Maybe in his backstory, he's seen a lot crazier stuff. We don't know. You know, that's what I like about it, too, is it's the man with no name, right? He just rides into town like a Western, you know, um, and I, I kind of enjoy that. So many people get caught up into, you know, oh, well, the character doesn't have an arc or this or that. It's like those are the kind of the stereotypical screenplay things and even though willie's is kind of a straightforward you know just kind of a fun movie it's uh, it's funny because some people oh well, it's not that deep and stuff but you could read so many things into it if you wanted you yeah. know what i mean um but at the end of the day it was to have a fun time and especially now with covid and what happened i just think it'd be great just to leave your brain at the door and just enjoy something and not dissect it so much and not get into the minutiae I went to film school. I went to USC, so I get it, you know, going through films and every month. It was so funny. There's a story. Uh, I took a Hitchcock class and my professor had the DP of Psycho there and he was talking about the swinging light bulb at the end. And he was saying how that represented the duality of man. Mm. And uh, someone raised their hand and asked the DP. Uh, so, you know, when you when you had hit shot that, you know, uh, the duality of man, like what, what brought that, you know, to and he's like duality of man. He's like the studio was going to shut us down and I needed an inner, inner cut of that thing. And so we put up the ladder. Uh, I just put the hi hat on and I and I just shot it, you know, and I just and it was so everybody looked at our, my professor. and He's like, OK, everybody gets that one on the test, you know, but, <laughs> you know, it, it's just. You know, you could read into so many things, but Willie's is just a fun retro love letter to the 80s. That was what I wanted. You but know? like you said, people can read into it. I mean, you can go through the movie and start to think, well, maybe maybe the yeah. janitor is some other robot from somewhere yeah. else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I heard uh, one good theory was, uh, uh, I think a critic told me, so they said, we think it was like an extension of Mandy that it's red and he's like, hallucinogenic <laughs> nightmare. You know, it's the LSD trip, but he's going to Willie's. I'm like, that's cool. Oh, Panos is okay with that. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. I'm sure he's, he's flattered by that, I'm sure. <laughs> but there is like, there is an art to fun. There is an art to yeah, just creating some sort of funhouse experience for people that it's, you know, someone mentions art in films and you immediately think anything you would see running up for the award ceremony. But there is art yeah. to a car crash. There is art to a Fast and Furious movie where, or Willy's Wonderland, where it, it everyone thinks, oh, it's so easy to just invoke a vibe or to to yeah. write a car chase. But it's like, yeah. no, it's it's pretty damn hard to to think about how you really want that to to land, especially because everyone else has done it before. Totally, it's funny because. I, I've seen some reviews like they just came in and pointed the camera and paid Nick, you know, and to, to not speak and not learn the <laughs> script. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. And it's like, man, this movie was like, a, I did like a 70 page shot list for this film. I was very specific on the shots because he doesn't speak and I wanted it to be very visual and interesting. And, and I didn't have a lot of money and time. And so I, I, I only had two or three setups. That was it. I mean, I, I you know, I, I could do two or three set, uh, shots, takes, and that's it. And I had to move on. And I actually setups. I had like, I was like 25 to 30 setups a day. I was just cranking them out. But the thing is like, you know, and I remember telling Nick, uh, Nick, I, I only have two or three takes and uh, I'm sorry, you know, and he's like, Hey, Kevin, I like to get in one. 
So I was like, wow, okay, let's get in one. Let's do two, actually. Let's just get a safety. But um, so, yeah, so this movie was very thought out. You know, like the fridge cam shot when he goes in and gets the drinks. It's like we had to saw the back of the fridge there and put the camera there. You can't think of that day. Hey, let's do a fridge cam shot now. You know, that doesn't work. So everything was thought out and planned. And I think art, too, is, again, it's in the eye of the beholder. But it also stands the test of time, right? This movie that we're talking about, Dark City, that's art. That stands the test of time. We're talking about it right now, you know, yeah. um, in 2021. And I'm hoping somebody will be talking about Willy's Wonderland in 10 years and 15 years. That would be just awesome, you know? You know, I wasn't going to bring it up at the beginning of our Dark City conversation, actually. But I think it's funny because we've now twice mentioned Rocky Horror Picture Show. And mm. I don't think even people realize that's Richard O'Brien in the film, you know, yeah. who not only helped bring it to life on, on stage and on screen, but was Riff Raff. And here yeah. he is in Dark City, and people just don't even realize it's him as, as Mr. Hand. He's so good. Sleep now. Yeah. <laughs> and just, uh He's great. Well, it's, it, yeah. was, it was, I thought it was very strange, too, because I remember when, when the trailers first came out, and I saw it, I, I didn't realize it was him. I thought they hired Maynard James Keenan at the time to, to, to play it. I'm like, oh, I guess he's getting into acting now. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, no, I... I uh, What's funny with Dark City, I remember going to it opening weekend and it wasn't even packed. Mm. It was at an AMC up in Burbank. And um, and I was just going, I can't believe like no one's here, you know? And 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 I've like I said, I saw it three times in the theater. I mean, that movie really just I just love that movie. And you know, it's just so weird, you know. I mean, I think if it came out, what do you guys think if it came out like today? Like now, what would it, what would it happen? I think, uh, well, first of all, I don't know if it would be at New Line. I think it would be at a smaller, more Netflix? independent studio. No. Probably, probably Netflix. Yeah. But I think that if human history progressed the same way that it did, even without this movie coming out, I think this would be a mind fuck right now because yep. of the themes of creating this world and sort of people under the consciousness of these these. Bell. Yep. But also, another thing that this movie kind of, I, 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 I'm reticent to use the term suffers from, but it did take a bit of a ding. This was filmed at the same time and on some of the same stages as The Matrix. And it even had like a very similar ominous trailer that really hooks you into the concept. And the only difference is Dark City was out in 98, The Matrix was out in 99, and Matrix is a little more pop punk sort of cyberpunk philosophy whereas this is very yeah whereas this is very film noir yeah yeah yeah. matrix is very like william gibson cyberpunk yeah, yeah. and then this is film noir there's like peter laurie and m and like all the great you know noir movies um yeah it would be interesting you know i saw the movie the platform did you guys see that I haven't watched it yet, actually. Not it yet. Was, I uh, I have to see this. You guys will dig it. It was really cool. It reminded me the look of like a delicatessen kind of feel. I mean, just really cool. Um, a great little story and just interesting. And that's the thing is like they don't make these kind of movies anymore, right? And they are going on to streamers or Netflix or Amazon, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of where you would land right now. Or it'd be um, an international I, film. And the reason I ask you guys about that is, yeah, the reason I ask you about that is because I, I, so I watched it again and I, I showed my 16 year old son 
and you know he's into Japanese anime really big time, and he's always you know I mean and I'm I'm way behind of course Akira and and that but like I just watched Cowboy Bebop with him which was of course amazing. And so, but he's into the newer stuff like JoJo and just all this stuff. And he's, it's kind of cool. He's showing me a lot of stuff and it's funny. He'll, he'll say something, you know, ripped off of that. I go, no, buddy, uh, that ripped yeah. off of that. Uh, <laughs> no, ripped off with the bad, the ugly. And you need to see good and the bad, the ugly, you know, but, but anyways, I, I played dark city for him and uh, he loved it. And I just, that's why I was thinking about, you know, what today's with the youth of today, he just thought it was so cool. And it was, it was mind bending and, just really he kept talking about it after the next day and to me and stuff. And it was cool. Cause like I said, these kids now, they just see content and it just washes over them. You know, they watch these Netflix shows, 20 episodes or something and gone. And then they're on to the next thing. Nothing lasts, nothing, nothing has that sticking staying power, you know, and, and rewatching dark city, it, it, it lasted with me again. I just think it's amazing film. Did you show him the director's cut though, or the original theatrical with the, with the, the lead in director's cut. Okay, because that's that's I guess that would be the interesting thing. What if what if you now saw the version that had the uh, the uh, over narrative lead into it? How would that would have affected? Yeah, a lot like Blade Runner, right? Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. Usually, you know, what's funny is sometimes directors' cuts aren't the best, you know, representation of the film. But I I always go towards them because I'm a director myself, and I'm like, look, if that's what they wanted, that's what I'm going to watch. You know, you watch like Coppola's like Apocalypse Now, right? The latest one. And, you know, do you guys like the French plantation scene? I, I'm, I, I'm. It's interesting. It's, it's, it's good that I got to yeah. see it finally, but I could have yes. watched it outside the film. Exactly. Yeah. So like, but your choice, are you going to watch Apocalypse Now? Are you going to watch like the, the, the last cut that he did? That's the, 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 the cut. Or do you watch you know, the one you grew up with, right? Or the one that, you know, same thing like Blade Runner. Like Blade Runner, I watched the director's cut. I'm done with the one I grew up with. That's not really, I think the, I think Ridley's is better, you know, um, and, and without, the, without the voiceover. But sometimes the voiceover is great, you know, it just depends, again, film noir, and you're that kind of mood, you know? Um, but it's interesting with director's cuts now because sometimes people think also like, that's like the, the cut when they release it. And maybe it is. But a director's cut is just a version of the movie. Then you have the producers look at it in the studio, of course. And usually, you know, of course, when the studio, your studio notes, you go, oh, God, no, let's go with the director's cut. But I'm just saying that it's versions. You can enjoy, to me, one version comes out, it doesn't destroy that other one, which we always have that other one. It's just like if someone makes a bad sequel or something, and it's like, well, yeah, that's a terrible movie. But I still have that original, the original feeling. Like my son asked me, does he, I like the new Blade Runner or do I think it, you know, it sucked or whatever, and, uh, or trash as he calls it, just trash. You know? And I was like, you know, it's just a different movie. It's a beautiful movie unto itself, the new Blade Runner. And it's a lot I like about it, but it will never, it will never take, play, take the place of the original Blade Runner to me and what I saw and what inspired no. me and serves inspired, you know, I'm sure you guys and Christopher Nolan and a lot everybody else. Same thing with Star Wars, right? Like, like again, my son and my nephew, like my nephew's favorite Star Wars is the Clone Wars. And I and I and I'm like, what? You know, and it's like, <laughs> I mean I like the Clone Wars, but Empire? Like what? Star, New Hope? Star, you know? And so 
but this is the new generation and I'm, you know, and you have to roll with it, right? Adapt or die. So I'm open and I listen to it. And that's what kind of want Willie's too. Like I want to make a movie also for the kids now, which is kind of cool because a lot of people didn't know about Nick before. And now I get a lot of emails and things going, I just love Nick Cage. He's my favorite actor. I'm watching all his movies now. They're watching Raising Arizona and Vampire's Kiss. All these movies that we took for granted, right? Because we're Nick Cage fanatics and fans. But a lot of these kids haven't seen this stuff. They don't yeah. even know, you know? So that's really a wake-up call for me, like, you know, in terms of, like I said, Child of the 80s and things like that, that these things are old. Raiders Lost Ark, one of my favorite movies, is like Casablanca. When I was growing up, it's like Casa. My friend told me this the other day. It's like, it's like Casablanca when we were in the 80s, when Casablanca was an old film. Raiders is now an old film. And yeah. they're making a fifth one right now, right? Another indie, so... It's just so interesting how things. That's why I was so curious what you guys thought about Dark City. If it, what would it do now? Resonate now? Well, I, um, I, I was thinking about it in the terms of almost marketing too, because it came out originally yeah. in that time where we were about to switch from finally every trailer was still like in a world, in a world, kind of giving you the yeah. rundown to when then they weren't telling you anything. It was just images and, and and music. And I was thinking that maybe it actually would have been propelled by a more modern today version of like the minimalist marketing like wouldn't it be great marketing wouldn't it be great if they went and just like you saw a poster but there's the very dim city and people walking in it and then just a bright how do you get to shell beach and that's all you get to see and how would that draw people in the kind of mystery of it well that trailer yeah. is very minimalist though like i i don't know if you remember that but that was the thing that got me i saw that trailer was just that simple music and it's these flashes and images and again a year, literally a year later from that, you get that Matrix Super Bowl spot that does the exact same thing with what is the Matrix, and yeah. that this those you're right, Matthew. This was just that pivot point where we were starting to get more teasy and teasing into our marketing, and yeah. uh, you know, just it, some of those images I still remember from that trailer and from the movie. I mean, you've got Jennifer Connelly in that beautiful green dress in the nightclub. Uh, Rufus Sewell yeah. on that that sort of Vitruvian man contraption at the end, oh, and man. just it's uh, it, this is a movie that's just so rich in visuals that I think they realized we we don't need to we can show not tell. I would tell a Matrix story was funny is I went to uh, a shrine convention in L.A. and Keanu and Kerry and Moss and the Chowski brothers, and they came and all they spoke before the Matrix. This was like in April, and the movie wasn't coming out till May. So they came and spoke about it, and then they did a special screening afterwards. And so we all went and saw it. So I saw it in April before it really came out. And and remember, that was, I think, like 1999, right? And so yeah. Phantom Menace was coming. That was in May. Phantom Menace was coming, you know? And uh, I remember seeing that movie, and, and I was like, oh, my God. I, I've never seen anything like it. And I was like, wow, George has uh, his work cut out for him, man. You know? <laughs> and... <laughs> and uh, it's just funny that you see like that movie and then like the Phantom Menace, you know, and, and how different, you know, and you just knew like there's a new sheriff in town, right, with Wachowski. And I was working for Rennie Harlan at the time. Um, and uh, I remember the Wachowski brothers, they had some great scripts that were coming through and they had that movie, The Assassins. And the movie that got made with Stallone and Banderas was not the script that they originally had. And originally they had like Ray Fiennes and Sean Connery and it was mm. gonna be, and the script was so good. And so 
they were on the radar and they went and just did this movie. And of course, Bound, right? Bound was incredible. I love Bound. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you just saw the Matrix. You just saw things shifting and changing. And um, and yeah, you're right. Dark City, Dark City lost a little bit on that because of what what happened was coming with tsunami. You know, um, and it is also very kind of an artsy existentialism, right? And I don't think you know in this. It's, it is about marketing, and I don't think the studio marketed it correctly at all. Not enough muscle behind it, to be sure. I mean, the approach was right, but I don't think they, they didn't go guns blazing with it. And maybe if it happened after The Matrix, they would have been, they would have been a little more mm-hmm. proactive in how they could have marketed it. But I still yeah. remember like seeing, like I, I envy you for getting to see this in the theater three times because... I tried to go see it in the theater because I was I was like 15 at the time. So I'm not old enough yet. And it's like, okay, my dad's like, I'll totally bring you guys. And, you know, I'll, I'll buy you and your friends the tickets and you can go. And it was just at the time where that stopped, that sort of stopped. And it's like, no, no, an adult has to be with you to watch the film. And I'm just sitting, standing there, <laughs> so bummed. I had to wait until it got to pay-per-view with the magic, uh, the magic descrambling mocks my dad had helped expose me to that film and other <laughs> like confidential and the <laughs> prisoner. Cause it's like, okay, I'm not old enough to go see this in the theater. Fine. I'm going to tape it off a pay-per-view and watch it. And just again, mind blowing experience. Cause most of the time it'd be like five 30 in the morning. Okay. I'm getting up before school and I'm watching this and just was enthralled it's it's funny because i actually i was old enough to go on my own to see it but i think my father and i we both wanted to see it so we both went together to see it actually uh, i remember when the dvd came out it was like those dvd new line platinum dvds yes. like that blade and that was, was like the big thing like oh my god it's just chock full of so much cool stuff you know when they cared about special features yeah special features. oh man Everything is special features and director's commentary. Yeah, and this movie has two two different Roger Ebert commentaries because he loved it that much. I know, I know. I remember getting Roger. Of course, I love Siskel and Ebert, so I'd always watch them since I was a little kid, right? And then I we got I got Roger Ebert's you know book. I got Leonard Maltin's books. You know, at that time, I mean, it was just that was when film criticism was really alive in the in my you know opinion. But you know what's kind of cool. With Willie's, uh, it taught me a lot in the fact like the YouTubers and things like that, like they're the new critics, man. And you know, mm. oh yeah, what's really cool about it is it's power to the people. Dark City and things that we're talking about now, like we can get to people mm. and talk about it. They can find out about it. You know, before it was just, you know, it came out, you, you get a good review in Variety or Hollywood Reporter or, or Time Magazine or LA Times and New York Times and that's it, you're done. That was it. Now it's a whole different ball game, you know. My son will go on YouTube and watch, you know, you guys and other people and say, "Oh, this sounds, oh, this sounds cool. I'll check this out," you know. And 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 that's a really great thing. That with Willie's, that's what happened. Like all these YouTube reviews came in, and people pumped about it, and watching it, and watch parties, and all this stuff. And that was so much fun, you know, when that when when we came out in February to see all that. Well, it has so to be at cool. this point. Like it, yeah. that, the market has to be that. Yeah. Because there's so many different titles through so many different tranches of of access, especially in in post COVID, because yeah. so many movies moved to digital, and now yeah. with everything with with all the movies that held out for theatrical release, we're going to see some some massive clogs of okay, what month can we release this Marvel movie? Which month can we program this mid level movie that we don't want to get in the way of? Yeah, yeah. 
what do you guys think of the state of movies now? Like, do you think theaters are going to bounce back in, in big time? Do you see streaming, of course, here to stay? Do you see that little movies get their due now? Like, what do you what do you think? Streaming will never go away, but I think the theatrical experience is still it, it's still going to be there because of the fact that the studios do believe in it. Uh, we yeah, have yeah. seen some interesting experiments with like Warner Brothers pushing their content for the year to HBO Max. But as you've seen, 2022, they're not going to do that again. Like th this is yeah. a subscriber push right now. This is uh, mm -hmm. Boss Baby maybe going to Peacock same day, but you can bet your bippy uh, Jurassic World Dominion is not. There's, I think there's a, yeah, there was enough cry from people, even if they enjoy being able to get something in their home at a certain point. People wanted to be in theater. People, people want to be in the theater. They want to get out. They want yeah. to get out. It's a, it's a free experience. It, yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, also, I mean, with things like again, even though people love being able to get Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, right away, a lot of the cry was, "I want to see that on a big screen." People yeah. are gonna want it. People are yeah. still gonna go. Do you think the big screen is is gonna be for movies just like King Kong and Godzilla? These big A tickets special effects, VFX vehicles, or do we still, is, is the big screen still, oh, like I just saw a little cool movie, uh, uh, The Dark and the Wicked, I think it was called. Oh, I don't even know um, that one. It was good. It was the director of The Stranger. Yeah, you, it's very cool. And um, the director of The Strangers, and, and uh, I really liked it. And, uh, but you know, that's not on the big, uh, it's not on the big screens. You know, it's, 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 it's Godzilla versus Kong. You know, well, that's um, also it's a small distributor too. I mean, yeah. I, I think we're probably going to see maybe a couple years where we're very heavy on tent poles theatrically, and then maybe we'll sort of start to see things equalize a little more, where smaller films will get more of their due. But you know, as long as you're near an independent theater, there is there's always a possibility because now we've even got major theaters like Cinemark testing Netflix movies mm. in their locations. So that's going to open up a whole new avenue where streamers are going to want it in on more screens and theaters are probably going to have to decide to be all in on it. I think the smaller distributors also will go with same day, day and date in theater and on demand for independent yes. films. I think they're going to let them play in theaters, but also same day if you want to buy it on at home. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think uh, even with theaters, it's just a small window, right? It'll come into the theaters, but then it's just going to be in 30 days or 45 days, it's going to yeah. go. Yeah. And they fit, and then I think that's too, they have to make their revenue and make their money, right? So go to the theaters and they get it out as quick as possible. Because the thing is now, everything, there's just something new to take attention away from, right? There's just something new. There's always, there's always, there's so much content going on. Not to mention video games, right? And everything else. Oh, yeah. You know, again, my son's a huge gamer. And so he's like, loves his games. And we got the Oculus Rift the other day. And I was like, okay, I guess say goodbye to my kids. Cause like, <laughs> that's crazy, you know? They have the virtual parents to take care of them now. <laughs> you know, just, I, I have to ask now, cause I got, I, I want to, I, there's a lot of Dark City stuff I still want to talk about though. Cause I have a question for you guys as well. Okay. And I want to know re your reaction okay. to Keith or Sutherland's stuttered, uh, groany dialogue uh, performance. Yeah. Because I find it, as much as I love Kiefer Sutherland, I found I I did actually find it a little jarring. I love it. I fucking love it. Yeah. I love that they yeah. even thought to cast him in that because they wanted William Hurt for the role. And you go through the conventional, conventional sort of look and feel of that character. Yeah, you totally go for, you probably swap it and go William Hurt, 
as yeah. and then Kiefer Sutherland as Bumstead. But Kiefer Sutherland has this whole, and Kevin, I'm glad you you threw the name out there because he has a very Peter Lorre sort of performance in this role. And I love that he gets to branch into that because it's so easy to just see Kiefer Sutherland at that point as, oh, Flatliners, uh, Lost Boys, you know, like it's very easy to see that Kiefer. But this is also the guy who branches out into other things. And yeah. Well, that was so cool as he was, he's a leading man at that time, like you say, with Flatliners and all that. And of course, Lost Boys and all that. But, but he becomes a character actor in this movie. And that's what I loved about it is he just, he, he goes for something different, you know? And even though he's harking back to Peter Laurie or something, and, and it is, it's a swap. You would, William Hurt, it would be completely, it would be great in that, that part, you know? But that's conventional thinking thinking outside the box and that's what i like about it um it's it's i think it's really cool i i, I love keeper and I, I think he's great in it so still a legend i i love that man so mike, mike you have to yeah. fill me in because maybe i don't know this so they were thinking william Hurt for that role and then what did they do that he just decided to swap it or he declined it first and was able to come back and play the other part or I don't, I see in my research, I couldn't really find what exactly happened. I just saw the, like the footnote in the, in the, the Wikipedia with all the other stuff saying, oh yeah, they wanted to, they originally won William Hurt for that role. Hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he did turn it down because this is around the same time that he was doing Lost in Space probably for New Line. Yeah. And he didn't want to get stuck as like sciencey exposition yeah. stoic man like he uh, i wouldn't be surprised either I, I bet you he read it and said and saw the concept drawings right and everything and said this is a really cool project but i i want i don't want to do this but i can do this you know name. well bumstead was originally the lead because yeah. the whole thing was it was going to be bumstead investigating these strangers and going mad and then through for, through some sheer grace, uh, Alex Proyas sort of found a new gateway into the story with the John Murdoch character. And then it branched out into what we uh, eventually got. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I do love the, because uh, for as much as I may, I don't dislike Keith Sutherland performance per se, or, or the vocal styling, I should say but I'm much more fascinated with all of the strangers, the way they, the way they just like, whether it's oh. the way they float or the way their, their whispery voices come out, just sounds so great. That was so chilling and so well done. I agree. I agree. I mean, they, they were, uh, I mean, nightmarish and cool and interesting. They're kind of like a pinhead of that, of that mm -hmm. time. Right. Just, yeah. you know, just cool. You know? And like, even having like, they sort of play into yeah. the creepy kid trope. But oh, yeah. though they have a kid stranger, it's not just like standard, oh, he could just stand there and smile. Like that kid really, I'm not blanking on his name. <laughs> he goes for it. Like at the end when yeah. he's floating up, I'm like, oh good, that little shit got it. Ah. So good at being like, they're all on equal levels of menace. And you've also got Ian Richardson from the original House of Cards in here, who's just great yeah. as, as Mr. Book. Oh, and yes. then going back to Richard O'Brien, just, after he he's imprinted with Murdoch's supposed memories, that whole journey is just something else. Yeah. You know, the, the sad thing is, guys, is that now if they made that movie and it was a studio, it would be like Brad Pitt. It'd have to be. They'd have to get somebody big. Like, think about this. Think about these superheroes. The superheroes, and although 
that some of them have become stars like Chris Hemsworth and things like that. But it's like they they get these guys now and, and you go, you know, so and so's, you know, on the soup. Oh, I was I was reading the other day it was uh the oh the rock, Dwayne Johnson, right? He's doing the voice of crypto and some, you know, and I was like, can't they give it to just some actor who's a great actor for crypto and somebody that needs the job? Like, do we need the rock to do crypto? Like that's where we are right now. And so that's why as much as I love him, he's got Black Adam. He doesn't have to be crypto. I know. And 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 then it's like, and then uh, what was it? I read. Oh, it's like Russell Crowe, right? He's Jor El in this in Man of Steel, but now he's in the and he's in Thor, right? And he's playing. And it's like, I love Russell Crowe, but it's just like, God, can we just give it some? Other? And so back then, Rufus Sewell, he wasn't a big actor, you know. Yeah. I mean, they gave it. It is great. You know, but now if they did Dark City, they'd have to they pile it on with these huge names. Even though Kiefer Sutherland, he was probably the biggest name on that. I mean, William Hurt was more, I guess, the uh, I I still probably Kiefer, right? Kiefer's probably the biggest name in that movie. At Kiefer that Sutherland and Jennifer Connelly were probably like the hot properties Probably. because yeah. William Hurt is like the, the hot property. Academy. I don't even think Jennifer would be the hot property even then. I don't think I think she she wasn't as big as. She was never as big almost as she was in Labyrinth in, in a sense. Yeah. True. Yeah. I think it's one of those things when you get all of them together, right, then it equals something. But now you'd either do it for a million dollars or like under five to make yeah. that movie, or you do it at a hundred and you get Brad Pitt and George Clooney or whoever, you know, and I'm like, God, it's just the way even Soderbergh's Dark City. Soderbergh's Dark City. The thing is. Yeah, I love that. Ocean, was it Ocean's uh, Ocean's Twelve? It looked like they just went on vacation to Italy and brought a yeah. thirty-five millimeter camera. Holy <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, <laughs> like, oh. I mean, you watch this movie. You're like, what is going on? It's like, <laughs> like, I don't mind a hangout movie. But, uh, that was exact. That exactly was a hangout movie. That just totally. happened. Eleven movie. So it's like I just it's like, listen, guys. I don't look the script. I look. I, I get it. The script needs work. But here, here's the deal. We're all going to Italy. We have a great time. Clooney's got his villa open. We're all just going to stay there. Carbonara yeah. every night. And we get to watch the, the dance rehearsals for the big heist scene. <laughs> Talking, though, about, about your, your, your comment about Rufus Sewell not being, you know, the big leading man. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that became his thing. And I remember, I think I talked to him one time and he was saying it. It's like he doesn't want to be the guy yeah. you get hired and the big star that's going to be this big name tenpole, but he'll do one movie every so often or one TV show every so often where he's got this big part and that's it. Yeah. You won't see him for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, and again, I'm not knocking him. I think that's great. Like, uh, was he a Knight's Tale? Was he the villain in Knight's yes. Tale? Yes. Oh. Great. Then he, then he took over Man in High yeah. Castle. What, what, what got, what are shows right now that you guys dig? Something that like on Netflix or Amazon or a, even a movie that you saw, you're like, God, it's just so good. Well, what, we're not allowed to see, we, there's one movie we both saw, we're not allowed to talk about yet. We're, we're under heavy embargo. But uh, as far as, and it's funny too, because as far as TV shows or, or movies or anything, you know, as much as I do love the more dark, kind of dark city-ish, noir kind of stuff, I'll say the best thing I've seen recently is Frank of Ireland. Uh, which you can watch on on Amazon Prime. Funniest thing that Donald Donald Gleason and Brian Gleason. Funniest thing I've seen in a long time. Oh wow! Okay. And I don't I don't laugh that hard very often. And I just finished uh, finally binging all of Shit's Creek, and <laughs> I totally agree that it, 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 again you need that that bright levity to, yeah. to a show like that. And what's really lovely about that show is 
it doesn't it doesn't stay in the the typical gear of this rich family is getting what it deserves and they think these town folk are bumpkins it's it starts with yeah. that but it's almost like a better arrested development it is a better arrested development because you're watching these people grow and you're watching them become better pr- people through the things that they do and they're totally different by the end and it's just it really is a beautiful journey but also drop dead funny like they nailed cold opens and they nailed how to end like what moments to end their episodes on that there's been so many times that by time the logo comes up and by time the credits come up i'm broken with laughter and just ready for whatever comes next oh that's great that's my problem with a lot of these shows though is that uh they, they do these episode commitments, right? And they can be boiled down into four episodes, but they're 10 or 12. And it's like, okay. I mean, Walking Dead, I loved Walking Dead. But then they would do like the, you, they'd be in the middle of the war, or the Negan War or whatever. And they'd do like a flashback. And you're like, what's going on, right? And it's like, it's a little thing, but they got a, it's like filler. And it drives me nuts, you know? So some of these shows, I'm just like, I just can't. You know what I mean? I feel like they should boil them down more sometimes. Some of them need it, you know, but some I feel yeah. like, come on. We, well, that's that's what's great about you know. Frank of Ireland because it very much goes by the traditional, if it's not a BBC show, it goes by that old traditional standard, which is a six-episode season, and that's it. Or do as many as you feels good, uh, and then that's yeah. fine. If you want to do more later, yeah. just let us know. Yeah. Like, I sort yeah. of missed the days of Alias being on, and it was like 22, epi- 22 24 episodes, hour-longs, and it would yeah. go, in its heyday, it would go from January to May, Without interruption, yep. because that was around the time yep. the networks realized, all right, we if we stay with the traditional model, we have to do reruns for these shows. Like 24 used to have to do reruns in January to be like, okay, this is where we left off in the story. And yeah. then maybe season three or four, it's like, all right, we're going to push the premiere to January, but maybe there'll be one week where we have to take off instead yeah. of this yeah. huge holiday break. We have to wait for it to come back on. Yeah. I love 24. <laughs> yes. Yes. I actually never watched it. Oh, dude. If you have Hulu, it's all there. And it's well worth the time, even the, even the lesser seasons, because there's, there are peaks and valleys in this, my friend. Season five is still one of my favorite yeah. seasons of TV. It's so good. Oh, yeah. That season five is great. Yeah. You know what I'm watching now? Because um, I, I need to see it because it came out a couple of years. I'm rewatching Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm re-watching Twin Peaks and I'm going to watch The Fire Walk with me and then I'm going to watch the new show, the new series. I, I did the same thing when the new one came out. I was preparing, so I was re-watching the original and then I got caught up with so many other things I never even finished it. So I also have not seen the new the new series yet either. I hear it's okay. I hear there's a couple episodes that are incredible though. I mean, yeah. it's David Lynch. You know, there's only one David Lynch, you know? Oh yeah. And he's just lucky enough that he isn't someone that's been constantly co-opted by the studio system. Like he's proudly been full Indian, you know, this man could make Mulholland drive into a movie after it was rejected from TV, but he could also do the straight story for Disney or the elephant man for Paramount. I have to talk about the greatest David Lynch thing that nobody ever seen, or maybe they forgot about. And now it's like, because after Twin Peaks, he did On the Air, which is a comedy about a radio show, which I think is one of the funniest things that has existed in a long time, and nobody's seen it. You know yeah. the theory behind that, right? No. The theory is that he and, was it Mark Frost he created the yes. show? Mm-hmm. The theory was that that show was their vent 
for their frustrations with ABC during Twin Peaks. Oh. That on the Air was a sort of a comedy that was basically venting the stuff they went through with their show. That's, well, that's the other thing people don't realize about David Lynch also yeah. is, is that he's a massive comedy fanatic. Stand-up to him is yeah. like the end-all and be-all. Yeah. So it just, you know, be able to see him do, con- I mean, it's not a straight comedy, but be able to see him do something that's listed as comedy was great. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the burden of expectations. I mean, going back to the Keeper Sutherland discussion, or or even just, you know, Dark City with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Like, you would expect this sort of thing to be made that way now, but they took those chances. They made those gambles in 1998. And I think we were kind of we were kind of in one of those sort of lulls in 98 because you look at what happened in 99. You look at all the movies that came out and how there's literally a book about how it's one of the best movie years ever. Like 99 wow. is one of those years like 39 or, or maybe even 2012 where there's just, there's certain years that there was something in the water and all these hits and all these like monsters came out around the same time. And 98 was kind 84. of- 84. Yes, 84 and eight and 82. Yep. Yeah. And just there was, you know, the Dark City basically walked so Matrix could run. And it almost feels like, I, I've, I always used to tell people, and I think I still stick by this, Dark City did in one movie what Matrix did in three. Because it has that whole closed loop story that tackles so many of the different things that Neo did through those three movies. It just doesn't have the huge action set pieces or philosophical uh, exposition. Going back to what you're saying too, with Willie's, when when uh, it's the acid Willie's uh, song at the end, when he the finale, when he comes to the to the uh, the uh, doorway, we have Willie saying, you know, serving families since 1984. That was a total, you know, shout out to '84. The movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny too because mike what you just said about dark city walked so matrix could run because mike and i talk often very much the reason we we started the show is because we want to bring light to films that we thought people you know somehow have missed but in the same breath you know right. i am very much that personality that was like i love this thing i want people to love it too but then when it becomes big i'm like oh, i loved it before you or you know like <laughs> Why did this happen? You know, like I want something. I want something that is kind of like still for me. So in the same breath, I wanted people to see Dark City, and maybe it should have been as bigger, big, or bigger than The Matrix. Yeah, it's not. If it was, it wouldn't be as good and special as if it is now. I agree. We'd probably be talking about Dark City to Escape from Shell Beach or something at this point. (laughs) We would have all those direct-to-video sequels that they probably would have pumped out at that point. I, I think they, I don't think they would have went theatrical. I think this... It, right. This thing so went, right. Yeah, if this thing hit, it would have hit on a modest enough level that they're like, okay, we've got... Because uh, that was another thing. Like, direct-to-video was coming back in a big way, and major studios were doing it. It wasn't just yeah. Full Moon Pictures taking advantage of it. It was, hey, we've got these small divisions. We can make as many American Pie sequels as we want. Absolutely. You're right. It's funny. Uh, I, when I showed Dark City to my son and he goes, I'll never forget the word Shell Beach again. You know, like <laughs> Yep. That's one of those lines that just lodges in there. It's like, do you, do you know how to get to Shell Beach? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what the poster should have been. How do you get to Shell Beach? 
That's it. Leave yeah. it at that. Yeah. I would yeah. love a replica poster of that, like subway line, the subway map, or even just yeah. like the map of Dark City. That'd be cool. That'd now, be cool. speaking about the director's cut, there was one thing that I was blown away that it was included because I watched the director's cut for the first time uh, preparing for this. And there was, oh. there was one thing that the, I, I'm sad they never really tied it up in the end. And it was May's daughter because that was something so small because uh, when I watched the director's cut, there's a really great uh, director's cut trivia track where the, they literally tell you the differences. And between, they added 15 minutes of footage back in and they shift, they dropped the narration and they shifted so many different shots and like added little lines here and there. Like it's one of the most meticulous director's cuts I've ever watched. And I was really sad that they didn't pick up on May's daughter in the end because I thought she would have went with John and, and Anna. Totally. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's because also, right, they did the new, those new line, those platinum editions, right? So they put money and time into you know doing these great special editions did you guys see uh empty man no not yet but that is some i'm surprised that that's been that's something that's kind of an overdue rental in itself that people have been latching onto. yeah you know chris stuckman did a, a you know review about it and how he loved it so much and uh he was right it's a great movie it's so well done i think you guys will really enjoy it why I'm bringing that up is the director of that, he was behind the scenes on Fincher. And he's the one that put the, together Fight Club uh, special editions, oh. uh, Panic Room, you know, maybe even Seven, I think Seven. So, but as you look at Empty Man, you can see his style is very Fincher-esque too, really well-composed shots, you know, and uh, uh, very uh, kind of minimal, you know, the you know, dollies, you know, tracking and things. And, and so um, that was the, the golden age of those DVDs coming out. And, and oh, we would yeah. just get chock full of cool stuff. You know, now you get a commentary. It's like, I feel like you got to take like commentary school or something. Like you got to like director school. Like you got to have like five movies and one do something before you do a commentary. Cause like everybody's doing it now. And it's just yeah. it's crazy, you know? <laughs> See, I feel like commentary starting to, to shrink away. Like, I yeah. special features too because uh, you hear about all these movies that cut all the like Godzilla versus Kong. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I I heard or, or have assumed has been cut based on the materials that I saw and, mm. and engaged with when the movie came out. There's like no I think there's no deleted scenes to speak of on that where you you remember back in 2000 you had X Men 1.5 where you could watch that yeah. version <laughs> that that had Jubilee was still in there. And little scenes here and there that were included back in. And like between 2000 and I want to say maybe 2010, like maybe at some point in the, in the middle of the last decade, that was just, you care right about that. Maybe with the special features and things like that. Is you think it's because we're digital now and everything is just kind of, I feel like sometimes we're like living on empty calories with cinema and movies. It's like, like I was saying, you just watch it. Yeah, okay, and then you're on to the next, and you're on to this show, and this. I, I guess, do people even interested in watching special features and EPKs anymore? I don't the know. The people that are are the ones that buy through boutique brands like Shout Factory and Kino Lorber. That's us. That's me. That's you guys. That's yeah, right. they, and, and Criterion. Like, the, it's like Criterion, Shout, and Scream. I just got the, I just ordered this. <laughs> oh. The Dead Media Book, the new one and the old one, man. Isn't that great? 
Yeah. That is so awesome. I, I'm a, such a physical media fanatic. Yeah. Right now, that's oh, what I, you know. absolutely. And I think you hit on, I, I think you basically hit on the reason why some don't engage with it anymore is because it, you, when you're doing a digital experience, like some movies do have special features with their digital copies, but they're not as robust. Mm-hmm. And they're just like treating the physical market as, as a very, well, as like a stepchild, like a redheaded stepchild, so to speak. I feel like I feel like studios are also moving toward just releasing them as special specialties, excuse me, special releases to YouTube channels, and and just and putting uh-huh. it through there. Here's your behind the scenes. Here's your gag reel. Here's here's your small little notes that nobody saw because it's coming out on you know through, and again it's through publications. It's you know through stuff like Screen Rant and and all these other oh, you know sure. publications and it's just on their YouTube channels. But I still want my mini. I still want my mini library piece. Yeah. Well, where do you guys see? I mean, I'm a huge, you know, pop culture collector. I, I collect figures and comics and all the fun stuff. But where do you see physical media? Do you see it going away, or do you see it, it's going to be a little niche or like vinyl? Vinyl's kind of made. Well, a I'm, I'm a vinyl bit. fanatic. I got, I got, I got yeah. all close to a thousand of my own. Okay. So I mean that's that's unfortunately though where most of my money goes now with physical media. I don't buy as many discs and DVDs, Blu-rays, whatever you you want to call it at this point because all my money's been going into my vinyl collection. Um, I, I unfortunately I don't see it going away completely, but I definitely see it. It's going to take a harder hit for a while than we may have expected, even more so than you know people planned. Oh, it's so going to be niche. And something that I'm worried about really? is I'm worried about whether 4K is going to uh survive or not because it feels like major studios are very selective with what they put out in 4k because i remember i loved ben affleck's live by night when it was released in theaters and i was like yes i want that 4k because this is a gorgeously shot movie and then and same thing with cure for wellness when it came out i was like ooh, that's gorgeous i can't wait for that to be on my setup in 4k and those movies failed to get those 4k releases and now you even see it with some movies and TV shows where they'll only get a DVD release and they won't even go, like they'll only go digital HD and they won't go Blu-ray. And I, I honestly think that the people that, it may be like vinyl where it takes a little while to sort of come back, but I think it's still gonna be your shouts and your Kino Lorbers and your Criterions are gonna be the ones that care enough that they're gonna have to license these titles from studios you're going to have to buy them when you can because they're either going to be timed exclusives or they're going to go out of print because I'm still kicking myself for not getting Shout Factory's uh, The Sure Thing. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because the Best Buy by my house, they used to be loaded. They'd have five or six uh. racks full, right? They'd have steel books and all kinds of stuff. I went there the other day, one rack, and it was just 4K, yeah. some new releases, and that was it, one rack, everything else gone. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? Oh, but you can and order I it on the store. I feel like it's coming. Like, it's going to be niche. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you can always order it on the store. And that's yeah, something they, that kind of scares me with Amazon buying MGM. Because yeah. are they going to, I mean, will they still do like, uh, like they have some titles where Amazon will like print it for you on demand if you buy it. Like, are they going to really, are they do, are they going to really do that? Or are they just going to keep it as like, Hey, we got these movies on streaming and that's all you need. Don't worry. It's not it's like so we're ever gonna... 
when the internet goes out here, because of course my kids, everyone's so used to streaming and they want to, dead and the net's out. I'm like, you see, that's why you got physical media. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm watching my movie in 4K and Blu-ray and I'm having a great time. And you guys are, you know. Even so, oh, is Fortnite not on a disc? Can you not play it without an internet connection? Oh, come even watch still, Dark City. Even yeah. still though, like I, I was just, the other day we were, we had to rewatch Looper for, for an episode. And I'm like, I pull out my Blu-ray. I'm like, let me put it in. Put it in. Did not work. I couldn't even find mine. I was lucky that it was on Prime. <laughs> I was lucky that it was on Prime because I could not find my disc. And you, I, I was sad that yours didn't work because it reminded me of this one time where we had a Sony uh, DVD player when I was growing up. And certain Sony movies wouldn't play on a Sony DVD player. <laughs> I think it was something to do with the copyright protection or something. Yeah, but wonderful. It was a pain in the ass. No, it's funny, you guys. It's like I'll, I'll catch myself, you know, flipping or something, and like watching a show, and I'm streaming it, and I'm like, I got the, I've got, I've got my media, I got the Blu-ray right here. I could put in a better copy, you know, better sound, oh, and I'm. And I'm streaming it, and I'm like, shame on me. Shame, shame, yeah. shame. You know? <laughs> I, I do very much miss the days of the – because I'm, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, and I do yeah. very much miss the days when, you know, Kim's video was around. And not only could you go and just buy – I remember I walked into Kim's video. I remember it very vividly. This is now like, – so what year was this? This had to be 2002 or 2001. And my <sighs> girlfriend and I at the time were going to go see Dogville the day it came out in theaters here in the U.S., and I had to kill time before I saw it. I walked into Kim's video. They had a regionalist Korean copy of it already. So, <laughs> so, so I bought it. You saw something else. And he watched Dogville on the, on the TV. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I remember the, going to the conventions, you know, and they'd have all the bootleg TV shows and all that stuff. And you just load up on things, you know, and it was like, it was the rainbow VHS look to it. I, when we got our first VHS, oh, my friend had a bootleg of uh, Return of the Jedi and ET, and it was like the worst possible copies. Yeah. It was like 13 generation. You could hardly see anything, but we'd watch it over and over again, you know? And now I'm just so such a purist. It's like, it's got to be 4K and Dolby, you know, uh, you know, HDR and, uh, you know, Dolby Vision, you know. And, and sometimes they cheat you on way. that. Yeah. I actually remember I walked into this when Laserdisc first came out. We, we had a Laserdisc player. Yeah, yep. it's called Laserland near us. Yeah, we go in, we go to rent Laserdisc, and the same day it was in theaters. They had Pulp Fiction already on Laserdisc, and, wow. and I'm like, all right, let's go rent Pulp Fiction. <laughs> there you go, wow. done. That's cool. Yeah, I did. I, I saw it in the theater though. I think a week after, just because I can go. See yeah. It. Oh yeah. Do you think, okay, do you guys think Quentin's going to, I read another interview or article, do you think he's going to retire? Do you think he's calling it quits here? I, I think no matter what he does, he will come back and do another film. It may be a while. Steve Soderbergh. He's not going to stay away. <laughs> or he might yeah. live up to his promise. And he, I think he even said, like, he might do streaming. Like, whether it's a, serve, a movie or a series, he's like, I don't think streaming counts towards that whole thing. He might still do stage like he wanted to. And he's got that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization yeah. coming out this year that I'm pumped for. Well, the new, the new article, right, the new article is him saying that maybe he won't even do the last one he said he was going to do because he says yeah. Hollywood's gonna, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is high note. Maybe I'll just leave it on that. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't fault him for that. And he's just always had this obsession. that he, His obsession is with the fact that he looks at 
directors like John Huston or other like big lionized directors that their oh. last couple movies just were not their their golden years. They were very mediocre returns, I guess, compared to what they had done before. And yeah. I would not be surprised if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just that almost feels like a proper send off. He'll he'll come back when he writes a script and sells poetic, it and right? then hates what somebody put out. I don't think he's going to sell. He will not write a script and sell. <laughs> he'll do a play. He'll write novels. But I don't think he's ever going to. I don't think that man would ever sell anything since he did with Natural Born Killers and True Romance. Yeah, but I love Natural Born Killers. I don't care what he says. Oh, no, they're great. Yeah. Oh, I love those movies. I mean, wonderful, beautiful, disturbing pieces of cinema, especially Natural Born Killers. But it's, oh, yeah. I, I think he's just, he has the clout that he can be that protective with his work. And he also has the quality where the fans will follow. True. He might be even bigger if he just quit and stopped. It'd be like an enigma. It'd be like uh, yeah. if Terrence Malick could just quit. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like, it could be interesting. It'd be sad because we all look forward to his movies, you know, and his work. And but I mean, I hate to say it, but you look at some of Alex Proya's later movies and they're not The Crow in Dark City. Like, especially I... I, I remember just hearing the pans for knowing, and it's like, uh, I love you, Nick Cage. I don't know if I'm going to follow you on this one. Knowing was a, wasn't a bad attempt. It just, it didn't, it, they didn't flush it out enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard, man. You know, balancing art and commerce, especially as you get older, you know, and uh, there is ageism in Hollywood. There, there, yeah. there is. Oh, yeah. I know some producer friends of mine, they had a writer director who's you know won academy awards and uh, he's older now and wrote a great script and he had all these people and then they found out his age and they didn't want to do it you know so it's like it's that's just the way it is and if it isn't that that gets you it's the market testing and the the tracking numbers and why would i want to deal with an established auteur who has all this all these demands and all this like input Mm -hmm. when i could buy that script give it to a commercial director or a short film director, or I could hire a short film director, make them expand yeah. their short. Yeah. And then we, we see where it goes. Maybe they get the Marvel movie after this. Like that's, that's a very interesting pipeline. And well, that's what I think about. That, that's the whole, Mar- that's the whole Marvel thing, right? They get these young directors, they previs all these special effects and they have it all ready to go. They come in and direct the actors, but it's like, I'm not, you know, diminishing them at all, but I'm just saying like, it's a corporate thing. It's more of a Marvel movie yeah. than a director's medium, right? There's and firewalls. There's things that they have to meet up with. I mean, it's, right. it's part that's of right. why John Favreau left after Iron Man 2. Yeah. Like he wasn't as excited about doing a Marvel movie when, okay, this is a sequel to your big movie that started this all, but... You need to yep. put through this reference to Incredible Hulk. We got to build out the Black Widow character. That's, that's right. That's right. Stuff about the Avengers. Could that young kid be Peter Parker ten years down the line? I don't know. We'll leave it up to the fate. You know, fate and box. I, I I read the script uh, to Thor, the first one that uh, was Matthew um, uh, Kickass going to direct. Oh, Matthew um, Vaughn. What's his name? Matthew Vaughn. And um, I read the, the script that he was going to do, and it took place all in like Viking time with Thor. And what happens is when Thor says to Odin, you know, and Odin casts him out from Asgard, he goes like Viking time. So it was like Lord of the Rings. It was awesome. Hmm. 
But you see what they did. They made it present day and shield. And why? Like you just said, to connect to Captain America and to build into the Avengers, right? These and plus everybody's a good fish out of water movie. Yeah, these movies are always building to something bigger. Even like Amazing Spider-Man 2, they're already studying up Sinister Six. It's like they're not even focusing on the movie at hand that we're watching at the moment, you know? And so there's that danger, I think, you know, with everybody wants to build a universe. Oh, we should do the Willie's Wonderland universe, cinematic universe, you know? Yeah. Willie will have his own thing and Siren Sarah. And <laughs> we bring them back as good guys now because there's even worse animatronics out there. <laughs> there you go. Puppet Master 3, that's, that's what it was all about. Or it's like just the, the as much as I love the Fast and Furious <laughs> movies, there are very rare villains that get to stay villains because there's almost always a redemption and they have to come back yeah. for a sequel, uh, or a sequel or a spinoff. That's right, a redemption. Totally, you're right. The villain becomes the hero, and then it's their movie. It's their spinoff. Uh, Jason yeah. Statham, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. We live in interesting times, guys, in cinema. Sure. It's very, very much so, and, and we do appreciate you being here to talk about it with us. Thank you again so much for your time, Kevin. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Kevin, so much. stay safe. Thank you. Have a good you night. Too. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Kevin Lewis, ladies and gentlemen, on Overdue Rentals. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for being here. I swear, this is a, it is a continued treat to be getting guests like the ones that we have had on, on, on our show. And Kevin's just another one where, man, just the love that gets shown for these movies by us individuals, but not as a collective, really does make what we do at Overdue Rentals. Uh, I, I think it makes us a vital service and therefore tax exempt. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to go on a totally different version of that where I was going to say it was great for Kevin to be here because I, I we were not prepared for, for the idea of being that he, knowing that he recently only showed this to his 16 year old son. So he's kind of got this new light on it too, after showing it to him. So that's a great thing to have because again, we are trying to have younger generations, not just right. Doesn't, we're not here just to have younger generations find about films they didn't know about. We want anybody. So there can be somebody, this film came out, you know, right in their prime they they saw the trailer and they just never saw it but there is that to be said for having the younger generations kind of bear witness to these kind of movies well yeah because as as we had said in our conversation you know you you look at casablanca uh, in the 1980s when raiders of the lost ark was coming out and some kids parents might have shown them casablanca and there's enough connective tissue and and style that you could see a kid digging Indiana Jones and Casablanca. Yeah, it's it's weird thinking about it too because I was more of the, the case where my father was showing me things that, you know, or again, cult classics now and even cult classics then. But like growing up being like the person said, like my father's like, I have to show you Don't Look Now. And then, you know, again, for people who haven't seen Don't Look Now, that's a whole other conversation for both the whole movie, the opening, and of course the ending. Um, but, you know, watching people now all of a sudden make YouTube videos about like, oh, here's this movie. Don't look now. You, you don't know what you're in for. It's like, it was this, it's the same feeling. It's just on a different, it's just on a different level for what I was being shown at that age. Yeah. It's just a new generation latching onto it. And again, the, the fact that we have so many YouTubers and so many podcasts that go into these sorts of movies, it's a new tranche of life for for something like this like you know if enough people listen to this episode maybe new line will see dark city blu-ray sales spike and then 
either they put out a new 4K edition through a boutique publisher or, you know, Amazon Prime greenlights uh, an anthology series where Dr. Schreiber takes a new patient every week. I honestly think Dark City was the kind of movie or is the kind of movie that should have a Criterion release. Oh, absolutely. Just, I mean, even thinking about the packaging they can do for this thing would be would be really interesting. And I'm amazed because, it, look, Criterion's the type of company that, like, you know, a lot of people probably look at and they think they're only doing classic films. No, they've been they've been doing modern stuff for a long time. They actually, in fact, I think for for a good while, like every single Wes Anderson release, the initial release was actually the very first release was a Criterion release. No, yeah. no, they they go through their the whole thing with Wes Anderson is it still goes through the studio pipeline where you'll get Grand Budapest Hotel through Fox's home video apparatus. But then a couple years later, it- yeah, a couple of years, I could have sworn there were films of his that came the first day it came out was on Criterion. Oh, I'll look no. this up. Like maybe the closest might have been Rushmore back in the day because I don't think. I, well, I that think was Time and Bounds also came out originally first on Criterion, not first at the same time with the Criterion edition. Oh. I'll have to, I will have to look it up. I could be talking out of my ass. I just this is what I remember. But still, it's it's pretty close. Where like he's one of those auteurs where he uh, he's automatically getting a Criterion. Yeah. And I wish Guillermo del Toro's movies would automatically get that because they've already done. His, his first three, or no, they did three of his films. I don't think it was his first three, but they did Kronos, uh, Devil's Backbone, and Pan's Labyrinth. And I, you know, if they were so inclined, I would love to see Hellboy. I would love to see Shape of Water go to that. Uh, you know, I, I just really, I, I love that sort of attention that these movies get through Criterion or through specialty labels where they care about packaging and, you know, what, what you're getting. Like Arrow Video too. Arrow Video did Crimson Peak, and that's kind of like a, a Criterion version for Crimson Peak with like a, a an essay booklet and everything. Yeah, but Criterion's Criterion's got a whole is a whole other level in my mind. I'm sorry. It just uh, I think we could debate that one day because the a lot of these other people like Scream and Scream and Shout Factory, Arrow, and Kino Lorber are starting to latch onto movies that Criterion wouldn't touch. I'm like, not talking about the quality of the movies. I'm talking about the quality of the release. No, that's what I'm saying. They're starting to do, they, they're uh, even Vinegar, Syn- Vinegar Syndrome did a release of Fade to Black, which is, if I would I would still say is a future overdue rental because it's on my list. But they, that movie was out of print for years. And I don't think Criterion would have touched it because I guess it's too much of a genre film. And yeah. Vinegar Syndrome did the cleanup did extensive review uh, interviews and and feature pickups and criterion was probably the first they were the first ones that were out the out of the gate but now other people are starting to do that with other movies that definitely deserve it uh Kino lorber put out space balls in 4k which is well, something Criterion needs to start doing is 4k <laughs> also mel brooks movies but still well, but more importantly, as we're talking about today, it should be a Dark City release for Criterion or somebody, as long as they give it a good, as long as they give it a good release, because Dark City is the movie you should, everybody should go out now and cross off your overdue rentals list. Absolutely. And another thing you should cross off of your list is following us through all the major networks, which you can find us on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals, on Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show. TikTok to be determined. I'm not going to let this go. No, never. 
And if you want to send us your your notes, your favorite episodes so far, or maybe a suggestion for a future episode, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. Mike, as always, fantastic talking to you. Thank you for joining ah. us. Thank you again, ah. Kevin, for being here with us to talk about Dark City. Matt, the pleasure as always. I'll see you this weekend at Shell Beach for the annual clam, clam bake. Uh, how, how do you get? How, wait, how do how do you get there again? How do you get to Shell Beach? Okay, so you need to take the Green Line, but you need to take the express uh, the express lane. No, not the express lane. The express train. However.